Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. So here we are in the final episode of this mini-series about the distinctive marks of a local church. Meaning, what distinguishes a local congregation from any other group of believers gathering together? We've been using a working definition through this, and I've refined the wording a little bit. The elements have still remained the same, just how I've phrased them has changed a little bit to clarify the meaning as the series has gone on. But a local church is a particular group of believers who have committed to help each other grow spiritually as they submit to shepherd leaders observe the two ordinances, and regularly meet together. That last phrase is what we're going to focus on today, the idea of regularly meeting together. Is it important? Why is it important? Uh, Do we need to do it even physically? And we'll go through each of those as we progress through the episode. Believe it or not, there's really only one direct command in Scripture for believers to gather together. This is found in Hebrews chapter 10, the first part of of verse 25, where it says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. So it's not even necessarily a direct command in that sense of like, you must meet together. Rather, it's more of an assumption. You are meeting together, so don't stop. There are some people who are not choosing to prioritize, not choosing to gather together. Don't be like them. Make sure that you continue meeting together. That's the attitude that is being presented there in that verse. In carrying that on, the idea of assumption that believers are already meeting together, and that's their habit, that's their regular practice, we see that same attitude presented throughout the entire New Testament. Although this is, oh, Hebrews 10, 25 is the only command that we see together, that assumption that believers do and will gather together is present all, all over the New Testament. For example, we begin in one of the in the, the the second instance of the word church in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter eighteen, in the context of church discipline. Even Jesus goes through the steps of if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault privately. If he doesn't listen to you, go and take two or three others, and, and so on. And then he says this in Matthew eighteen verse seventeen: If he refuses to listen to them. Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The implication in there is that the church is doing this together as a corporate body. It's not just that there would be a series of letters sent out to all the different members, and then they can each contact this person. But rather, it's the idea of a corporate assembly, them gathered together. And part of that is drawn from the fact that the confrontations given previously, when you go to the brother or the sister in person by yourself, we take two or three. You're going physic. You're being. You're, you're going to that person physically. You're being physically present with them as you confront them over this issue of sin that they are persistent in. And so the same thing pertains there to the church and the idea of what really is the church. And, we, and we've talked about that in previous episodes about the meaning of the word church, the Greek word church, ecclesia, uh, the idea of a, cor- of a corporate assembly. And that's what's at play here too. That the person is 
present there in the church. The, the leadership or the people are telling to the church, here's the issue. We've tried to confront him, this or her, and this person persists in this sin. They're not repenting. And the church as a body has a responsibility to confront this person. And while they're physically present, this person refuses, then we go to the final stage. And we've talked about uh, church discipline uh, previously. Another example where this is assumed is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. Paul is dealing with the, some of the issues in the church and uh, Corinth and some issues of divisions. And he says this, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. He's testifying that there is a particular way believers gather together as a church. Not just getting together as a group of friends, but that they are gathering as a church. And also as part of that congregation, part of that assembly, part of what they do is gather together. That's an essential part of who they are as a church. And that phrase, when you gather together, or when you come together, when you assemble, phrases like that using those words of, of coming together, are present throughout 1 Corinthians. And we see it over and over again. Chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, several other places there in chapter 11. Verse 17, verse 20, verse 33, verse 34. And then in chapter 14, verse 26. And you could even argue in chapter 16, the first few verses there, when Paul talks about, on the first day of the week, each, let each of you lay aside as he's able for this collection for the saints so that there's no collection that has to be done when I come. You could argue that he's saying, do that when you come together as a church, that the church was meeting together on Sunday and they would have this collective, <laughs> a collective collection. Um, you could say that, or they were already be collecting that together in one place as they came together physically. So there's that assumption in the book of 1 Corinthians through, from all throughout it that the church is gathering together. It's not if you come together, uh, here's what you could do, but it's when you come together. I know you guys are going to do this. Here's how you should uh, order the church. Here's what you should do when you come together. In Acts, we see this over and over again. A few of the key places are chapter 2, verses 44 through 46, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And then chapter 20, verse 20 are a few of the highlights. And then not just in Acts, as we see through Paul's testimony, through his epistles, especially through his greetings. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can skip over the greetings and think, okay, why are they even there? Are they really that important? Oh, yes, they are. They're, they're quite important for us. As you see Paul's heart and even instruction for the church today, that we see over and over again, Paul says, greet so-and-so in the church in their house. Like in uh, Colossians chapter 4, greet the church of the Laodiceans and Nympha and the church which is in her house. Uh, he also told them, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Uh, testifying there of a corporate assembly. Uh, he greeted uh, Philemon, uh, the church in his house. Uh, he said, and he, he talks about Priscilla and Aquila and the church in their house. Also talked in Romans 16 about how Gaius was host to the whole church. So many instances where we see the churches gathering together physically. They, they weren't just a church because they had signed a piece of paper or they were kind of loosely connected. No, they were, they were choosing to physically gather together in people's homes. 
they didn't have designated church buildings like like we do today in America and in uh, in, in Europe and and uh, well actually all across the world really. Um, even in persecuted places, there are designated places. It may not be a church building per se, but there are designated places believers gather. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture over over and over again. But we have to ask, is that a legalistic requirement for us today? I mean, after all, they didn't have virtual church. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have the metaverse. So does that still apply? Does that still apply that we have to gather physically? I mean, can't we just gather virtually over Zoom? I mean, wouldn't that be the same thing or YouTube or Facebook Lives even? Uh, do we actually need to be physically present to be part of a local church? Is that an essential aspect of a local congregation? Well, our answer to that depends on how do we view our walk with Christ, primarily at do, just individualist as an individual walk with Christ or do we see a corporate element to that depending on how we answer that question will affect our answer about whether we need to gather physically as a church if we if we see our walk with Christ uh, from an individual standpoint of our personal walk with Christ there really is no biblical command biblical reason for us to insist on gathering physically rather than virtually because i mean everything that the church could do when it gathers can be done virtually <laughs> i mean we can we can uh, give we can do that uh online we don't have to be physically present to do that uh, we can listen to preaching online whether from our own pastor or some other preacher that we really respect to look up to uh music <laughs> We can pull that up on the different devices we have or stream that. Uh, or even if we don't come up with our own set of uh, aspects to the church. You know, if we don't just randomly pull out a preacher or pull up a few songs on YouTube. But if we're even if we're actually streaming a church service that has been pre-recorded or, or is being done live, um, we could still worship in that sense. We're still hearing the word preached. We could still be singing. We could still be giving. Uh, there's, we can still be doing those things. We could even take the Lord's Supper by ourselves, you know, have our own wafers and, and grape juice. We wouldn't have to be present if we're viewing ourselves, if we're viewing our walk with Christ from an individual standpoint. And there could be some great benefits and, and opportunities that we have through streaming things. Uh, I recently just uh, live streamed the Gettys uh, annual sing conference. And we had some some great teaching through that. There was some incredible music. Uh, there were several times where I was uh, moved to, to to worship through that, even though I wasn't physically present there. I wasn't there in Nashville. I was still I was sitting in my little office space here in North Alabama. But I was able to, in a sense, worship uh, through what was being streamed virtually. Can that? A substitute for actually physically gathering as a church well as i said if we view our walk with christ view our christian faith from an individual standpoint just our personal walk with christ then yes it can however we cannot ignore scripture's emphasis on the corporate aspect of the people of god from beginning to end scripture testifies to this that part of of being in relationship with the living god is being in relationship with his people. And that involves being physically present. 
Because, yes, absolutely, we, do, we must personally choose to believe in Christ. No one can make that decision for us. Being involved in the local church can't save us. We have to choose to believe in Christ. That's the beginning of our Christian walk. That's the beginning of our involvement with the uh, beginning of our uh, connection with the universal church. And I believe should be the beginning of our of our uh, commitment or engage, true engagement or involvement with the local church. So it begins with the personal and we should cultivate that our personal walk with Christ, not saying, oh, we're just going to depend on other people to help us grow. We should be striving to grow in Christ. But however, part of the, however, part of that essentially involves being involved physically, uh, being having physical connections with other people, with other believers within our local church, because we can't fully fulfill all the purposes of the local purposes of the local church, or all the activities of the local church on our own. Here's just a few examples. Singing. I mean, we think, okay, well, how does how does that have to involve being a cor- being corporate activity? Well, Ephesians five nineteen says this: speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So absolutely, Paul testifies there, and again in Colossians three sixteen, we are singing to God. He is the audience of our praise. We're directing our worship to Him. But also, as we do, there is an element where we are teaching, we are speaking, we are encouraging, sometimes even admonishing one another as we sing. And we talked about this earlier in the season when we talked in the mini-series about the purposes for our music, biblically speaking. And we talked about how there is a, a great factor to our music of edifying one another. We can't ignore that. A lot of times we don't think about it, but we, we should take that into consideration. So while we could be singing praise to the Lord and worshiped, engaged fully in worship with Him, with the Lord, as we are uh, watching a virtual church service, we're not singing to one another. No one else can hear us. We're, we're, we're missing that corporate aspect to our singing. Or take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper to be properly observed as a church ordinance involves being physically present with each other and taking it together at the same time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, Paul says this, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Now, part of that was saying that this was part of the, the love feast, the, the meal that was being done. But they were observing the elements of the Lord's Supper, the, the bread and the wine. Though we have you know, bread and grape juice today in a, lot, in a lot of places. And Paul is saying, yes, you're, you're physically present, but you're not eating this together. Some people are taking the Lord's Supper at one time, then a little bit later, maybe some other groups. And then maybe a while later, some other people are doing it. It's kind of sporadic throughout the day. It's not together corporately doing that and Paul's saying for the Lord's Supper to be properly ordered for the Lord's Supper to be properly observed it requires people being together meeting together physically and observing it at the same time that doesn't mean that they have to you know eat the bread at the exact same second but meaning are, are we corporately observing this together and if we neglect that aspect of unity we're not properly observing the Lord's Supper 
we, we dug into more detail about that in the last episode we had about the two ordinances, digging into some more detail about that corporate aspect of the Lord's Supper. Now certainly believers can eat bread and drink grape juice either by themselves or with some other friends as a memorial, as a way of thinking about the Lord's Supper or trying to remember what Christ has done for us. That certainly can be done. But it's not the Lord's Supper as a church ordinance. For that to be properly ordered, for it to be properly observed, requires the church, the a particular group of people that you know that, that we get through that definition, a particular church gathered together and observing it together while they are physically present. So we've talked about the the corporate aspects of singing, uh, corporate aspects of the Lord's Supper, also of encouragement. This goes all the way back to the beginning of this episode when we talked about how we were commanded not to forsake our assembling together. The full context of that verse, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that one of the primary reasons we gather together is to encourage each other. It, it and that's not an encouraging of just pat on the back, oh, it's great to see you. But so he says encouraging there, he pairs that with stimulating one another onto loving good deeds. You know, building those relationships with each other, being involved in each other's lives, you know, talking about how can I pray for you? Uh, you know, I know you're going through a hard time, but, but keep on, don't, don't give up. Uh, how can I help you in this? The idea of trying to help each other on to, to follow Christ. That's the true idea of encouragement. Um, that's what we are to do as we gather together. And this is only um, one aspect of our fur fur further understanding about uh, encouragement and being involved in each other's lives is um, that involves gathering together, but it involves the entire, uh, our entire lives. How we should have an attitude or a posture of seeking to help build each other up. That's the whole purpose of the local church. Ephesians 4, 12-16, an incredible passage, uh, perhaps clearer than any other about what is the purpose of the local church, in my opinion, in terms of what the church be devoting itself to. Uh, Paul says that Christ has given apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And he says, for this purpose, and he says in Ephesians 4, 12-16, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the stature uh, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by crafting by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So much packed into that verses, but what is highlighted and emphasized in so many ways in, that, in those few verses there 
is the idea of every member being involved in each other's lives. That the, the pastors, their whole purpose is to equip the saints so that the saints, the whole church, can help build each other up in Christ. That's, that's the whole purpose. He says the proper working of each individual part. Everyone being involved in each other's lives. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're going over to other people's houses every single day and you know having uh, you know two hours of Bible study with other people uh, every single day of the week. Not necessarily. That's not what it's saying there. But it's saying, are you intentionally seeking to help each other grow up in Christ? Or do you have an outward, a self-giving attitude that reflects the self-giving nature of our triune God? Are we helping to build each other up in Christ? And that involves every day, that involves throughout the week. And we uh, prioritize that, have a special time set aside for that when we gather together. So it's a little bit of rabbit trail there, but trying to help us see that the idea of encouragement is something that is is a priority for the church throughout the week, but especially when we gather together. And we can't fully encourage one another. We can't fully help each other grow up into Christ just through technology. That uh, that certainly can be a tool, and we can use that, and I think we should to use it as a tool that the Lord has given us to be able to use. But it, you can fake stuff through text messages. It's easy to put to put on our front. We can try to we can put on our front at times in person, but it's so much easier to do that through a text message, through an email, where you can sit there and craft how you want to respond, how you want to say things. Uh, it's a lot harder to be honest through that than it is in person. And in some ways. Um, <clears throat> And there's something powerful about being in person. Uh, when we're talking with each other, the weight of what we say has more of a value to it. You know, it's it's one thing to hear encouraging, true encouraging words through a text message, and that can be a great source of encouragement. But something even weightier, uh, more special about that in person, or when it has comes time to confronting. Uh, so it's. I think so much better to do that in person than through texting or an, e- or an email. Uh, not only because of the tone that is, pre- that is sent, but also the attitude of, I care enough to do this in person. And there's just certain things that we communicate in a way that's it's hard to describe or hard to understand or really put your finger on when we're physically present. That when we are absent from each other, there's something that's missing. And this comes from the fact that we are embodied beings that we were meant to be physically present with each other. And there's been a, a lot of uh, talks about this or books written on this aspect of how we are embodied. And that this involves being physically present and involved with each other. This point was driven home for me really uh, during the beginning of COVID when everything was, was shut down and uh, we weren't meeting uh, physically as a local church. And there was something missing. You know, we were still able to do a virtual thing of sorts uh, through a conference call. And we were hearing the preaching, hearing some music, not able to sing all together. But we, we weren't gathering physically. Even when we did Zoom, we could sort of see each other's images on the screen. It wasn't the same as actually being physically present. And so one thing my, my family and I did was that uh, we baked some bread, uh, we grabbed the guitar, and we went to a few uh, church members' houses and we... You know, gave them, gave them the bread, and we just stood outside, 
and sang together. And there was something so special, so unique about that, being physically present with other believers, other members of our church, and singing. And that was just a small aspect. We weren't able to do everyone in the church. We weren't able to all gather together into one place. But the idea of being physically present with some people was something so special. And that's just an aspect of how our encouragement can use technology, but we shouldn't rely exclusively on technology. We need to be physically present with each other. And we can do that throughout the week, and I think we should in certain ways that we're able to. But we should prioritize and put special focus on that encouragement aspect when we gather together. And we can't do that fully if we're just uh, being on YouTube or being on Zoom. Yeah, you can chat, but it's not the same as actually being physically present with each other. So we must regularly gather together at, physically. I believe scripture compels us to, through the command, to to meet together and what it's talking about, encouraging, stimulating to one another, to love and good deeds. We see through the pattern and the assumption of the New Testament that we are going to gather physically as we understand that we are the people of God and that we are called together into assemblies, that our walk with Christ is personal. Absolutely. It must begin with that and it must be cultivated that way. But for us to fully grow up into Christ involves involvement with each other's lives. We need one another. Others need us. We need to be physically present with each other. And we do that through the corporate assembly. But that brings up an interesting point, which I referenced there when we talk about COVID, was that there are times when churches don't gather physically together. There were times when we were in lockdown and churches were not allowed to meet physically. So did we stop being church when that happened, when we go for months without actually meeting together? And what about people who actually have you know, jobs that require them to work on Sunday? Are they somehow not true members of a local church? Well, no, because the issue here is priority, not law. Scripture nowhere commands that a church must meet together every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And you're not going to find that verse in Scripture. You're not even going to find a verse that says they must meet together every single week. I think it's important, too. We can talk about the rhythm of that. But the issue is not forsaking that assembly. It's a matter of priority. Are you making this a regular habit? Are you making this a regular a practice? Similar to what we talked about, about the timing of the observance of the Lord's Supper in, the, in a previous episode. It says that when we, when we do this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the, and drink the cup, it doesn't tell you how often. It just says that you do it often. <laughs> you make that a regular practice. And we can debate about how often that should be done. But for a church, having that uh, the idea that we are part of the corporate people of God, we come together for worship, for edification, for singing, for to hear the preaching of the word, having that done every single week as part of our natural rhythm is extremely important. And we've seen throughout uh, Scripture, we, we see throughout Scripture and then throughout church history that the church has done this. They've met at least once a week. <laughs> you know, the early church in the first part of Acts, they met every single day <laughs> in the temple. And in a lot of places, uh, churches meet maybe t oh, at least once on Sunday, if not twice. Uh, a lot of times we'll have a Wednesday service. There might be some other things throughout the week. But meeting at least once a week and especially prioritizing Sunday in response to, uh, in recognition of that's the day when the Lord Jesus arose from the dead. And 
as we said, there's also people who have their uh, jobs that require them to work on Sunday. Doctors, firefighters, police officers, even people who work in like grocery stores and things like that. Um, it's not that they chose necessarily to work on Sunday, but their jobs require that. That's not a sin. We're not under law. We're not bound under the Sabbath laws that uh, national Israel was under, under the old covenant. The issue is of, of a priority. You know, if someone's job requires them to, to work, you know, a couple of Sundays a month, well, they should prioritize being at church those other Sundays when they can. Or if for an extended period of time they're not able to gather on Sunday, they should find other ways to gather with the church. It's the issue of, of a priority. Where is that weight of... of um, let me rephrase that. Is the physical gathering of the local church an important part of your life? And if so, how is that being demonstrated? The issue comes in when we intentionally choose things to keep us from the local assembly. Whether that's just saying, you know what, I kind of feel tired today. I don't really feel like going to church. And there may, there may be times where you're not able to be able to go. Um, that's okay. But just because, you know, I don't really feel like going. Uh, is that our regular habit? Um, do we have hobbies? Or the things that we're involved with that, we're, that keep us from gathering? Because, you know, we only had the weekend to work on those things. And we could really use that extra time on Sunday morning to, to do those things. Are we prioritizing other things more than the gathering of the local church? And we, we shouldn't. We should make a focus to, to uh, gather with the people of God for his worship and for our edification and to help one another. Because this is, again, this goes back to the aspect that we're not, it's not just an individualistic faith. Though we have a personal walk with Christ, we need others to pour into us, we need to pour into others. And part of the regular rhythm of that into bringing that into our lives is prioritizing the, the physical gathering of the local church. So that finishes up this mini-series on what is the distinctive marks of a local church. A local church is a particular group of believers who have committed to help each other grow spiritually. As they submit to shepherd leaders, observe the two ordinances, and regularly gather together. So it's taken us about seven episodes to dig into that and some different nuances. And there's a lot more that could be said on each of these aspects. Uh, maybe some people will want to add more distinctives. Maybe some people take away a few. But these are the, the main five that I see um, as truly distinguishing a local church from just a group of believers. And also help us understand how the church should be structured and what the church should devote itself to. So I've enjoyed digging into that and I hope it's been an encouragement and help uh, to you as well. And this also uh, is the season finale. It wraps up uh, season three. And we've taken a little more of a shotgun approach to this uh, to this season than we did last, uh, last year. Season two was all devoted to the transmission and translation of the Bible. Did a deep dive into that. And it was all centered around that one subject. This year, it's been a little bit different. We've covered aspects of what are the purposes of our singing, uh, to the glory of God and the edification of one another. We looked at gray areas. You know, what should be our framework for looking at convictions? How, how do we develop those? And then how do we hold those with grace? Then we've looked at other aspects that have come up. Uh, baptism, is local church and membership, is that is that essential for a believer? Um, 
other things in scripture that that have come up and a lot of the most of these things that we've covered this season have been things either i've been studying or have come up of, and just in my own life and just wanted to go ahead and to share those and uh, as i said i hope they've been an encouragement and a blessing and a help and that wraps up uh, season three i'm gonna take a break for the rest of the year i'll be praying and preparing for hopefully next next year with season four i'll be seeking how the lord wants to to guide and direct that but i've enjoyed sharing these things and appreciate people listening to the podcast uh until until season four read the word and take your stand thank you for listening to the podcast i hope it was an encouragement and a blessing to find out more information about here i stand ministries check out hisministries.com Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.